You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're looking at a new series today, which we're calling I Am, and it's looking at the, the, the sayings of Jesus in the book of John, where he declares, I am. And today we're starting off with, I am the bread of life. And uh, just before we get there, as Tim said, and I was just really encouraged by Tim's exhortation to us to come on Wednesday night. I'm really excited about Wednesday night's prayer meeting. Really want to encourage all of you to be there. We're, uh, we're calling off small groups this week um, so that people can be there on Wednesday night. And uh, then from September, we're going monthly prayer meetings at the uh, beginning of the month. And we want people to, we want people to come along to them. Um, as, as we will, we'll give you the dates in due course, um, but there'll be no small groups on those weeks. Um, so we really want people to be here uh, to pray together. So we're going through this new series called I Am, and you might be thinking, I'd really quite like to have some instructional teaching. I'd like to be told how to be a better uh, person, or how to be a better uh, friend, or a better dad, or whatever it might be. And you're thinking, well, we're going to be looking at Jesus. How on earth is this going to be helpful for us? I want to quickly read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. He's basically saying that as we behold Jesus, as we gaze upon him and see him for who he is, that we actually will be transformed. I found that that's really encouraging. That actually, yes, it's good to have series which are practical, and we do do series here, teaching where we get into, you know, the, the thing, you know, different topics and so on. But actually, Paul's writing here that as we behold Jesus together, that we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. You might be frustrated that you're not perfect yet. Well, the Bible says we're going to be transformed bit by bit. So let's read together uh, John chapter 6. We're going to read quite a lot of Bible today. I hope you're up for that. We're going to read the first uh, 15 verses of chapter 6 together, and then we'll continue later on. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii. That's about eight months' wages, just to put that into context. 200 denarii would not be uh, enough to buy enough bread for all of these people. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had been eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world." Perceiving then that they were about to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
It's an amazing story. Many of us will be familiar with it if we've uh, heard the story in school or growing up in church. Uh, Many of us will be familiar with this story about feeding the 5,000. So basically, Jesus has been getting quite a reputation for healing people, performing many, many many miracles. A whole bunch of people start to follow him. And it would have been, as we probably, many of us will know, it would have been many more than 5,000 people because uh, they only counted the men in those days. So it could have been between 15 uh, and 20,000 people following him, a lot of people following him. And uh, he then performs this most amazing miracle. And there would have been for the people there, um, as they would have known their Bibles, they would have known the Old Testament very, very well, there would have been kind of glimpses of a, uh, Elisha for them, who uh, fed, um, he fed about 100 people from uh, 20 barley loaves. They were seeing that, he, that Jesus was greater than Elisha. And uh, there would have been, again, glimpses of Moses for them as well, who um, they, they perceived it was Moses who provided for them uh, all of the food when they were in the desert, uh, wandering <clears throat> towards the, uh, the promised land. So the people are amazed at this miracle. There's, they, not only are they getting enough food for themselves so that they're absolutely stuffed, there's more left over as well. And so Jesus perceives that they're going to they're gonna try and take him by force and, and force him to be their king, and then he, he gets away from them. The first thing that I want to say this morning is that Jesus does not want to have disciples who think that he's useful. Jesus does not want disciples who think that he is useful. These people want Jesus for his stuff. This becomes really apparent later on as Jesus calls it out in them. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had done. They'd seen the previous things that he'd done. and They thought, this guy, if he was our king, he could be really useful. There wouldn't be any sick people left in our land. If we ran out of food, if there was a famine, he could sort out some food for us. He could be very, very useful indeed. Jesus doesn't want to be a useful king. He doesn't want that kind of disciple. Many people today, they see Jesus as useful, don't they? They see, ah, if I, if I put my faith in Jesus, then he will make sure that I have an easy life. He'll make sure I have a comfortable life. He'll make sure that I'm provided for. He'll make sure my kids are okay, whatever it might be. We can so often uh, seek after Jesus, not for him, but actually for the gifts that he gives us. He can be for some a genie that we rub when life gets tough. We rub the lamp, Jesus pops out, can I grant you your wishes? That's for some people how Jesus is perceived. Jesus doesn't want us just to add a little bit of him into our lives that we can just pursue what we want, when we want, and then maybe we'll tip our hat to him on a Sunday or at Christmas time. That's not what Jesus wants for us. I know too many people who have shipwrecked their walk with God because when they first placed their faith in Jesus, they thought that he was going to be for them a genie that they could just demand from. And when those things that they enjoyed at first, when those things dried up, they thought, Jesus is no longer with me. He's no longer with me. He's not giving me the nice stuff anymore. Hard times hit, and suddenly he's no longer the king because he's not producing the goods. So rather than Jesus uh, being the treasure for these people, they were seeking after the gifts that he could produce. They thought that Jesus was there to make their life easy, there to kind of give them good stuff. John Piper asked this really provocative question, what's the greatest source of your joy? Is it what God gives to you or what God is to you? I think that's really provoking, isn't it? What's the greatest source of your joy? If that, all of that stuff that you put your, um, your hope in, if, that's, if the stuff that you find ultimately 
uh, joyful to you is not God, when those things fade away, you will abandon God. And you'll say, I don't want to know anymore. So these people, it might have sounded noble for them because they wanted to make Jesus king. That might have sounded a really good thing. It might have sounded actually like they really wanted to, to exalt him. But actually, really what they wanted to do, as we'll see in a moment, is actually make him king so that he could be useful. And all these people, as, we, as we'll, we'll see in a little while at the end of chapter 6, they all abandon Jesus. They all abandon him. Having seen him produce food for maybe up to 20,000 people, having seen him heal people of all kinds of diseases, they all abandon him at the end of this chapter. So there's only 12 left. There's only 12 people left. Talk about church growth, hey? Imagine Jesus talking to uh, Peter and saying, how many did we have last week, Peter? 20,000. And what about this week? 12. 12. <laughs> all these people abandon Jesus at the end of this chapter, as we're going to see in a little while. They didn't understand Jesus' mission at all. He had come to give them himself and his Father. These things that he was doing were signs so that they could see who he really was. They were signs that they could see that he was indeed the Son of God, that actually he alone was more valuable than anything that he could produce for them, anything that he could provide for them. So we move on in the story. Let's read 16 to 21, shall we? When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately... The boat was at the land to which they were going. This kind of seems out of place, doesn't it, in a story about bread. So we've had the feeding of the 5,000 or the however many thousand it was. We're going to hear in a little while that Jesus declares that he is the bread of life. It seems out of place that we get this little interlude on the boat. The point of this, the point of this story is that Jesus is saying, it's, it's about me being with you. It says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. In fact, it could be translated, I am, I am. How he introduces himself in a few chapters' time, as we'll see in this series, he introduces himself as I am. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, for the Jewish people, that was a big deal. So Abraham was the father of their nation, the father of their faith. And for Jesus to say, before Abraham was, I am, was like saying, I am God. I am God. And I am, um, some of you might know, it's translated Yahweh, which is what they called God. So Jesus, even on this boat, is, it's probably translated Yahweh. It's, it's I am. I am. It would have been for them so reassuring to know Jesus was in the boat with them. It says they gladly received him on the boat. The point here is that it's not a story about getting you out of storms. This is a story about Jesus being with you. Having Jesus, knowing him. And this is amazing, really. It says the boat was suddenly at the place where they were setting out, to, setting out for. It was suddenly there. I don't know how that happened. So I think that even in this story about bread, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and we're going to see what he means by that in a moment, this isn't out of place. It's saying here, Jesus is saying, I am. It's I. It's me. You don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. Let's going to skip a few verses, and then we're going to go to... Uh, 25 through 35, when they found him on the other side of the sea, this is the crowd, they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This is when Jesus is pretty uh, damning in his, in his uh, assessment of their, their motives. He's saying, you, just, you had a nice fill, right? You got full stomachs, and that's why you're seeking me. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying here, I didn't come to bring you physical stuff. I didn't come to bring you physical bread. I came to be bread. Jesus didn't come to give bread. He came to be bread. He nails it. He sees through their motives. He says, you're not seeing the signs here. I'm producing these signs so you'll see that it's all about me. That it's all about me. The signs are supposed to point you to my true identity and worth. It's, I'm more than a prophet. I'm, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. I'm the one whom all of this was created for. I'm the one for whom your life is all about. It should be all about. He's saying, come to me. He's angry here. He says, he says he's, he's really lambasting them because it's not Moses that was producing the bread. It was God. And you've just come because you've got full bellies. He's angry at them. How could Jesus be angry at someone seeking after him? It doesn't seem right. It's because, as I said earlier, they're seeking him as useful. Useful for the bread, the money, the health, the prosperity. He's useful to give me stuff. He sees what their true desire is. He sees right through into their hearts. It's material things and it's comfort and it's good health. In countries all over the world, this is a message that is spoken and it's quite frankly demonic. It's wrong. It's evil that if you follow Jesus, you will have everything else, you know, just good health and good we- lots of wealth and nice suits and gold watches and a private jet. It's all wrong. It's demonic theology. Jesus says, I didn't come to give you all of that stuff. I came to give you me. I came to give you me. Now, I'm not saying those things are, are wrong necessarily in and of themselves. I'm not saying it's wrong for a Christian to have a measure of wealth. But Jesus is saying, I didn't come to give you that. I came to give you me. And they ask him, how on earth have you come to be here so quickly, Jesus? Now, he could have said, well, I just walked across the water. He could have just thrown that one in there. But again, he knows what they would have said. Wow, he could even stop us from drowning. He can even help us to get to work quicker because he could just get us walking across the water to work or whatever it might be. He could be really useful for us. He doesn't tell them that. And Jesus says, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man will give to you. This is not just ordinary food. The ordinary food perishes, doesn't it? It goes off. 
He said, don't make it your aim to get rich. Don't make it your aim to have nice stuff. It'll all go off. It'll perish. It, will, it won't last. He says, labor for the food that will endure to eternal life. That sounds frightening, doesn't it? Labor for the food that will endure to eternal life. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we know, we fully well know that we have screwed up in that area, right? We know that when it comes to laboring for eternal life, getting to heaven, we know that we have made some massive, massive mistakes in that one. So it's frightening, isn't it? It's absolutely frightening. He says, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. And they say, what, what have we got to do? What must we do then, Lord? What have we got to do? Tell me some things. Give me a list of 10 things, of 10 reasons, to, 10 ways to be a better husband or whatever it might be. Those articles that we see on, uh, online, it says five ways to lose weight. Or six. We love those lists, don't we? We love those things. I click on them. I skip, down, skip past the, the introduction gump and I want to see the five things. Am I doing those five things? We love to be told how to do it, what to do. Is it just me? It's not just me. There's people nodding away. Good. It sounds frightening. What must we do? Lay before the food that endures to eternal life. Well, Jesus turns it on his head. He says, the labor is to stop laboring and to believe. The labor is to stop laboring and to believe. It's to trust our lives, entrust our lives into Jesus' hands. To see that he alone is trustworthy. That we can throw our weight on him and what he's done. What he's accomplished. That actually, when it comes to laboring for eternal life, he didn't screw up. He didn't screw up once. That actually, we can know he labored perfectly for eternal life. That we can trust ourselves in his hands. Jesus says, go after the bread that endures. He came to give bread he came to be bread, I should say. He came to give life to the world. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, in the Greek, which, um, which the, the Gospels, the, those four um, books I mentioned earlier that were written about the life of Jesus, they were, they were written in Greek originally. And the word for life here, um, but it's, it's the word zoe. So if you know anyone called zoe, that means life. There's two uh, words in the Greek for life. One is bio, which we get biology from. And there's Zoe, which is talking about abundant life, life to the full. That's what Jesus is getting on about here. He's saying, I've come to bring life to its fullest. He says that later on in, in the book of John, in chapter 10. Our uh, capitalist society, as I said last week, uh, is trying to sell us stuff. It's trying to sell us a version of, etern- uh, of abundant life that really doesn't satisfy. Jesus is saying here, I am the bread of Life, and that means I'm 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 a bread of, of abundant life, of life that will be enjoyed to the max. The things that the society sells is it can't really secure abundant life. It can't secure for us full, meaningful, fulfilled, eternal life. It's not found in the things that we see in advertisements. It's found in Jesus alone. He's speaking to a bunch of people here that are convinced that what they need is health and wealth and comfort. That's what that's who he's speaking to. And he's saying to them, what I want from you is to want me. I want, from you to, I want you to want me. I want you to desire me. Jesus is saying, come to me. He's unashamedly declaring his own greatness. He's unashamedly declaring it. If I did that, it would be arrogant. It would be absolutely arrogant. But for Jesus, it's the most loving thing he can do. To point people to the one who can ultimately satisfy the soul. That's what he's saying. I am the bread of life. I want you to come to me for all of the things that you, all of the satisfaction and fulfillment and 
abundant life that you seek elsewhere, come to me. Come to me. I will. You, if you come to me, you'll never hunger again. Don't come to me for my miracles. Don't come to me for what I can provide for you other than what I can do is I can provide for you myself. He wants us to say, Jesus, I want you. You're the food. You're the drink. You're the bread. You're the wine. You're life. I want you. That's what he wants from us. I'm not, he wants us to say, God, I'm not coming to you with, with my uh, hands full of dreams saying, Jesus, fulfill my dreams, fulfill my desires. I'm coming to you empty-handed and saying, Lord, I want you and your kingdom purposes and I want to just give my life to you. That's what he wants from us. I'm not coming to you, God, for what I can get from you. I'm coming to, to you to get you. That's, what he, that's, that's, the, that's the kind of disciple that Jesus wants. He doesn't want disciples that think he's useful. He wants disciples that want him above anything else, that see him as in, in infinitely more valuable and worthy than anything else. The, the very things that we hold most valuable in the world, he wants disciples who see that compared to him, those things are not worth pursuing, that Jesus is ultimately worthy. He's the treasure. He's the end. No matter what, I've got to have you. He's not a means to an end. He is the end in and of itself. We embrace him. We're not coming to Jesus as a consumer and saying, this is what I want. No, we're coming saying, Jesus, I want you. You're the end of my searching. You're the end of all things for me. Jesus is not, he's not interested in partial commitment. He's not interested in those who see him as a little something to add into their lives. Sometimes we we can do that, can't we? We can say, Jesus, I, I want everything else. I want to pursue anything else, but maybe I'll add you in a little bit as well. Come on in. This was so uh, offensive to their ears. And then, as I said earlier on, they all abandoned him. Why? Because he says, later on in chapter 6, he says, you've got to eat of me. You've got to eat of me. The one who feeds on this bread will live forever. For them, that would have been incredibly offensive to hear because for Jews, it was you know, completely unlawful to... Uh, eat things that still had their had blood in. And so they would have been thinking, what's he talking about? He's saying to, to eat of him? That would have been hugely offensive. They all abandon him. Jesus is saying, be consumed with me. I'm not interested in you just watching my miracles and wanting me for miracles. Be consumed with me. It's tough teaching to hear. People don't like it. They want Jesus to be the conquering king who would provide for them what they uh, wanted and to overthrow the Romans, perhaps. That might have been one of the things that they had in their mind. If he can feed 20,000 people, maybe he can overthrow some Romans as well. They had self-centered requests. And he's saying, you need to know me. You need to have me. You need to have the true bread. And they all leave Jesus. As I said, they, there's just the 12 disciples left. And Jesus says, right, are you going to leave me too? Verse 67, are you going to leave me too? And Peter's response is this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. We know that Jesus has the words of eternal life, don't we? We know he has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else we can go. There's nowhere else we would want to go. He is the one who has the words of eternal life. And these, this eternal life we've been speaking about, it's found in Jesus' death. It's found in his death. These people in this society um, would have been much more familiar with how food got to them than we would be, right? So we have bread that comes in a nice packaging. 
we have meat that comes in a nice packaging. It would sort of, we just go to Aldi and pick up bits and stick it in the trolley. These people would have known that in order to live, they had to eat stuff that was dead. Right? That would have been very, very real for them. It would have been very, very real. That the, even the, the, the things needed to make the bread had to die. Even the, you know, even the fish, they had to die. And yet we don't really even sometimes comprehend this. We just kind of just consume, consume, consume. and don't really realize what we're doing. We go to McDonald's, have a hamburger. That cow had to die. That lettuce had to die. That onion had to die. That gherkin, that poor gherkin, it had to die. We don't think about this, do we? For them, it would have been so real for them that actually even Jesus declaring, I'm the bread of life, it meant he had to die. There had to be a substitute. There had to be, it was either they would die or he would die. If we're to have the bread of life, either we die or he dies. He has to lay his life down. He laid his life down for us. He laid his life down for you and I so that we could enjoy. He came to come to bring bread, and that was himself. He came and gave of himself. He took our sin and shame on the cross. We sung about that this morning. The wondrous cross. It wasn't, it's, a, it's an amazing hymn. I love it. But at the time, it wasn't wondrous. It was bloody. It was disgusting. It was agony. We can sing now it was wondrous because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We can sing now it was wondrous because it means for us forgiveness. It means for us mercy being poured out on our lives. But it wasn't wondrous at the time. It was Jesus dying in agony, struggling to breathe, struggling to take in those breaths, and then giving up his life. And it was for you and I. It was for you and I so that we could come to know God, so that we can come to know God as our Father, Jesus as our Savior, so that we could come to know this bread of life that really does satisfy, that really does. It is our all in all. Pursue the bread that lasts. Pursue Jesus. I want to encourage us to pursue him. Finally, Finally, we share the bread that lasts. We share it. We've tasted of it. We found it to be the best bread. We found it to be better than anything else. We found that it, as, we, as we feed on Jesus, as we're consumed with Jesus, we find that it really, he really overflows from within us. And we find there's plenty to go around. I was praying with um, a bunch of people downstairs earlier on. We pray before this meeting. You're all welcome to come and join us quarter to nine. I was praying with Anne South as we broke down into pairs. And she was just... Uh, Praying that we would know as a church that there's plenty to go around. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty of Jesus to go around. We've got thousands of people, even within a 15-minute walk of this building, thousands of people who haven't tasted this bread yet, who haven't come to know Jesus yet. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty to go around. There's thousands in our well, millions in our nation, millions in this continent who don't know Jesus yet. We when we're consumed with him, when we come to see that he is all satisfying, that he brings, it's the bread of life, bread of abundant life, bread of absolutely life in all its fullness. When we come to be consumed with him, when we come to know that he alone satisfies, it will overflow from within us. And we will want to share the bread of life. We will want to see people come to enjoy him, not for the, very, the good things that he can give us, but because of who he is ultimately. Let's enjoy Jesus. Let's pursue him. Let's pursue the bread that lasts and let's share the bread that lasts. 
I wonder if we could just stand together. We're going to um, sing in a, in a few minutes' time, but let's stand together first. I want to pray for each one of us. And um, I think at the end, actually, it'll be good to have uh, people just an opportunity to be prayed for at the back when we have the prayer team a little later on. But let's pray together. Let's ask God to come and do a work in our hearts. Um, we've been expecting of him really opening up hearts today and opening up lives today. Let's be expecting each one of us that he will do something in our hearts now. Let's look to him. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be the bread of life, to be the bread of abundant life, true life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've tasted of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have shared yourself with us, Lord, and it meant you dying. It meant you, you laying down your life for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we now find ourselves, having placed our faith in you, we find ourselves forgiven and free. We find ourselves set free. Lord, we find ourselves overwhelmed with your goodness and mercy. We're able to sing and reflect on the wondrous cross. We're able to see that you, are, you have done it on our behalf. Lord, but we so want to be consumed with you. We so want to come to see that you're all satisfying, not the things that you give. We don't want to find that you are ultimately that you're a useful king. We want to know that you're a satisfying king. Yes, Lord, you can do all things. Yes, you can produce miracles, and we would love to see you move in power in this church, in this town, in this neighborhood. Lord, but we ultimately, Lord Jesus, we come to say, you are enough. You're enough for me. Lord, you're enough to satisfy me. Why don't you, where you are, under your breath, or even out loud if you want to, why don't you say, Jesus, you are enough for me. Jesus, you are enough for me. Lord, I look to you, the bread of life. I look to you, the bread of life. Lord, I don't look to you to see you do useful things, to see you provide other things. Lord, I know that you've ultimately provided for me yourself. Lord, and I look to you. I say you are enough. Lord, I pray that you would come now. And Lord, for those who are among, across this room, um, maybe are looking for you to do other things for them. And maybe on, in danger of letting you go completely because the things that they are seeking you for haven't yet been provided. I pray, Lord, that they would come to see again, you are enough. Lord, I pray for anyone who doesn't yet know you, who haven't uh, really come to see and grasp the goodness of Jesus. I pray that again, you'd open your eyes. Lord, we sung this morning, open our eyes. Would you open eyes this morning? Lord, would you come and do a work in us? I pray. Lord, and we just come to ask you now, help us to share this bread. Help us to share it, Lord. Help us to share it, Lord. Let us be those who are so... So consumed with you, Lord Jesus, that we would, it would overflow from within us. Lord, if we were to find the food that we really enjoyed, we'd be telling everyone about it. Lord, I pray that we'd know that this food, you, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd, we'd come and taste and see each day that you are good. Lord, and as we do that, we would share this bread. Lord, that we would share it with everyone that we meet, that people wouldn't be unaffected. Lord, those that we come into contact with, they would be aware that we're eating of a different kind of bread to that which the world is eating. Lord, that we're consumed with you, Lord Jesus. Come and change our town, Father. Lord, we're going to pray on Wednesday night, Lord, that you would change our town, but we pray it now. Come and change our town, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, change our town.
Let's see tens of thousands of people come to know you. Lord, that's, no, that's not too big an ask for you, Lord. We've just seen that you provided uh, physical bread for 20,000 people. Lord, you can, do, you can provide spiritual bread for tens of thousands in this town. We believe you for that, Lord. Stir up our faith. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Lord, we pray for this county. We pray for Suffolk, Lord. We pray that tens of thousands again, Lord, would come to see you alone satisfied. We pray for this country, Lord, that is going through a, a bit of a shaking right now. We pray that people would turn to you, Lord. They would turn to you, Lord, and see Jesus. You are the bread of life. That you are the one that satisfies. You're the one who brings life in all its fullness. Lord, it's not failing football teams. Lord, it's not uh, politicians that are uh, getting some things wrong. It's not anything, Lord, that uh, this world can produce. It's not material possessions. It's you, Lord Jesus. It's you, Lord Jesus. You satisfy. Lord God, we pray for our nation. Would you bring it to its knees? Lord, we pray for our continent. Lord, we pray for Europe. Lord, would we see this continent turn around once more? Lord, you've done it in the past. This continent was once a continent that knew you. And now it's so far from you. Lord, we pray that there would be a dissatisfaction with everything that the world would offer. And that, Lord Jesus, they would see that you are the bread of life. That you are the bread of life. Life in all its fullness. Equip us, Father, we pray. Equip us now. Lord, we're giving ourselves to you afresh. We're saying you're the end of our searching, Lord. You're not a means to an end. You're the end of our searching, Lord. And I pray you'd equip us afresh now as we sing and receive afresh from you. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up for the mission. You'd stir us up for the sharing of this bread that would be like your disciples, just entrusted with the loaves and the fish, going to the people. Lord, send us out from here, I pray. Send us out from here. Where you are, just one you say, send me out. Send me out. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.